1: Eligibility. That's the nothing personal word of the day. It is Friday, January 19th, 2024. Welcome to everybody watching the show live or on video. Nothing personal with David Sampson. You will notice today I'm not in my normal uniform. I'm actually in a horse hockey sweatshirt and a nothing personal trucker hat. The reason, A, I got zero minutes of sleep last night, but that's not really the reason, that's sort of ordinary. I had a procedure done yesterday on my face. For those of you who don't believe in sunscreen, I can only tell you I was amongst you and now I'm not. I was at the dermatologist and I had something done for precancerous and potentially cancerous. I'll let you all know. I'm fine, I'm sure, but basically my face has been peeled off like I'm in some sort of movie. And this is as good as it's going to look all weekend. After this show, I'm going into my bunker. I will binge something and then watch football, but there was no way I was going to miss a show. But unable to shower or get my face wet, I wasn't gonna put on a blazer and a shirt. So that is why I'm wearing my lucky horse hockey sweatshirt. Eligibility, let's get into it. It's a Friday, we got a lot to cover as we head into the weekend. A few things caught my attention yesterday while I was looking at myself. I got a few thoughts here on NCAA eligibility that may not be too popular, but let me just run them by you and see if you can agree with where I'm coming from. Miami Hurricanes, I'm a fan. I mean, they're they're not badgers, they're my number one, but I like the Hurricanes fine. I will always have a special place in my heart for Donna Shalala. They have a tight end named Cam McCormick. It was announced yesterday that Cam McCormick has been granted, wait for it, his ninth year of eligibility. Ninth, most people in school for nine years are called doctors. This is a guy who already has an undergraduate degree from Oregon, already has a graduate degree from Oregon, transferred to Miami, there was the COVID season, he's had a bunch of injuries. Suffice it to say, he decided that he wanted to play again And the coach, Mario Cristobal, said that'd be great. We'd love him to play again. He's the exact type of person we want. Of course, I have a slightly different view of that because for all of you who are parents of high school kids playing football, keep in mind that every time someone gets extra years of eligibility, they're taking up spots on a team that your child can't get at the appropriate age. I keep picturing what McCormick is doing on a Friday night in Miami. Is he going out and buying drinks for the freshmen because he's of age? He can't have any sort of anything with anybody because that would be underage. I think that this whole eligibility situation is troubling because what would be wrong with four years of eligibility and that's it? Well, then we made it five because you can always have a red shirt. And then we said, if you get hurt and you don't take a couple snaps, don't play enough games, that'll be like a year that you don't play. In major league sports and professional sports, when a year passes and you're injured, you get a year of service time, you get a year closer to free agency, you get paid your major league rate. And then a team decides whether they wanna keep you or not keep you, depending on how long your contract is. Major league baseball has a union, the National Football League has a union. The union is there, Ostensibly to protect the players, but really it's to make sure that everyone understands the rules of engagement and the rules of engagement are being followed. The rules of engagement in college are changing and that change is manifesting itself in the retirement of Nick Saban because he couldn't take it anymore, like he was in the movie Network. It's changing with what happened with NIL It's changing with people jumping into the transfer portal. It's changing with players who are appealing to the NCAA to try to get more years of eligibility when they're not where they want to be in the major league draft. Baseball has something like that. If you don't like where you're drafted out of high school, no problem. Go to college. But if you go to college, you got to play there three years. Unless you're Scott Boris's client and your name is Bryce Harper, then you can go to a junior college and then you can just play one year and then you can get drafted again. I think we should forego all of it. You're able to be drafted, get drafted. Basketball said, you can go to college or we're gonna start these academies where you can get paid early. Why are all these leagues trying to do all these things? And I include the NCAA. As a president of a team, I have one goal. It is not the education of my players. It is not having them have a college degree. It is having players, the top 26 players, my time it was 25, but the top 26 players out of my 40 man roster at the big league level, helping me win as many games as possible for as few dollars as possible. And lest you think I'm the only one who thinks that way, there is not one team who doesn't think that way. Even Steve Cohn. If the best players for your team are right out of high school they should be allowed to play in the NFL, but they're not. If the best players on your major league team are right out of high school, they should be allowed to play in your big league team, but they're not. Some players need four years, some need three years, some need one year. Why not allow for all teams in the professional level to have their choose, their pick of the litter? If you've got a young player who's ready to go, draft the young player and take them. I always said to the commissioner, why can't every player be available for the amateur draft at all times? And if they don't want to sign with the team, they don't sign with the team. But I want the ability to draft anyone at any time. And by the way, I feel the same thing about this football situation. I don't want to give extra years of eligibility. Now, these are players who in theory may be pros, may not be pros to his brother He just got an extra year of eligibility taken away from him. He wanted to get a sixth year, but NCAA, in one of the few things they still do, they ruled, no, no, you're done. So he's now got to enter the draft. He wanted another year of eligibility because he thought, let me play one more year at Maryland, put a ton of great numbers up, then I'll go higher in the draft, get some of that extra guaranteed money that we talked about in previous shows. This is a very common thing that these players are doing. And the solution is the solution I've been calling for since everyone's been crying from Jim Harbaugh to everyone from Ed O'Bannon on forward. How about this? How about you're saying that he was gonna transfer out of Michigan? All right, he was gonna transfer out of Michigan into the portal to try to get more NAL money, transfer out of Maryland, excuse me. Either way, my point is the same, is that he wanted to be drafted higher than he is projected to be drafted, and now he's going to be drafted. So what I'm calling for is very simple, very simple to enforce. Ready? Total and complete free agency in college sports with unions for all college athletes. You're gonna think that's hard to imagine that I'm calling for unionization. When I saw the minor leagues unionize underneath the umbrella of Major League Baseball, how about every college football player unionizes under the umbrella of the National Football League? And as part of that, players can play for whoever they want to, whenever they want to. You get four years, you're hurt, sorry, three years. You're hurt twice, two years. You're undrafted, then you're an undrafted free agent. You're drafted, you're the property of the team. You don't wanna sign, you have to sit out a year. If you're a college like Alabama or Michigan or anybody else and you want to get a top high school player, offer them a three-year deal. Pay them. You want the top recruit? Get them. That's the system everybody wants, isn't it? It's way easier to patrol. It's way easier to protect the rights of players. It's way easier for teams to have a budget. But David, you'll have the haves and the have-nots. Yep like we do now. What I, the reason I was against NIL is I told you that dollars are fungible, and when boosters are giving money to, directly to players, they're not funneling through the school, the school then loses the ability to decide how to allocate resources. It's why sometimes when you give money to a college and you give for a specific project, but then somebody calls you and says, could you just give to the president's fund or the parent's fund or the annual fund? Because when you give to a general fund, that's under the general direction of the people at the school and they can spend it on desk chairs, they can spend it on endowed chairs or they can spend it on snow shovels. But if you give money specifically for a building, then the money you give has to go to the construction of that building. Or if you give money like Fay Vincent former commissioner just gave money to Yale for the Yale baseball team to endow the manager's position or to endow the baseball team in general, that money cannot be used by Yale to build a drama school. It has to be used by Yale for the baseball team. I think it would be way easier if we took all of those issues away. So here's what I'm gonna ask. So we can avoid Brock Purdy's brother transferring to his third school in four years We can avoid Casey Thompson transferring to Oklahoma for his seventh year of eligibility. We're gonna get rid of all of it. And we're gonna have a tracker. There'll be a website, it'll be easy. Who's signed to what deal? The ADs and the coaches of these schools will have to be like GMs and coaches now. They'll have to put their team together. You'll still have helicopters landing on high school fields, but you'll be offering contracts. More money going to younger players, more guaranteed money. Hey, you sign a three-year, $15 million deal to go to Alabama and you stink, or they sit you for a year, whatever. You're getting your 15 million. I think it could actually work, Coca, I really do. College football and eligibility is such a mess. I don't know if you saw what happened in the ACC. You know the lawsuit? I don't remember what episode it was, Coca, I'm sure you do, and I'm sure that our listeners do, and for that, I appreciate it. For me, I don't fsu is trying to get out of the acc the problem is fsu granted its media rights to the acc the acc bundled the media rights sold them they're in the middle of a long-term deal with john skipper's former espn and now fsu wants to get out of it so they can get out of the acc fsu is now subject to a amended complaint by the acc saying You don't want to be a part of us, guess what? We don't want you involved in any of our operations. We no longer want to be forced to give you any information about anything that we're doing. We don't want you to see anything. It's the same concept as when you are working for Pepsi and you let it be known that you're about to move to Coke and you get escorted to the door that second. You don't get to hang around and go to the VP meeting or you're at Morgan Stanley and you're leaving for JP Morgan, you don't get to go to the Morgan Stanley partners meeting. Hey, what deals are we working on? ACC says, you don't wanna be with us? Fine, then you're not with us. And then you're not gonna know anything. The stakes are pretty high in this because if FSU does get out of this grant of rights deal for a number that is below what is contractually obligated for them to pay to get out of it, that is gonna lead to the second phase of what may be the natural result of my first phase. My first phase of player free agency, I guess the second phase is team free agency. That'd be amazing. Hi, I'm David Sampson. I don't wanna be in the National League East. This year, I wanna be in the American League Central. Think that day will come? Of course not. But what about in college? I don't really wanna be in the ACC. How do we feel about I'm gonna move to the PAC-29 or the big 69. Do you know why that part's not ever gonna happen? And why the ACC is fighting tooth and nail to stop what FSU is doing? Because can you imagine ESPN or TNT or NBC or CBS or Fox going to a conference and saying, hey, we wanna buy the rights to televise your conference's games. We want the SEC, we're gonna give you a couple, Bill. And then they wake up a year later and it's Franklin and Marshall playing Lehigh. Doubleheader has tufts against wesleyan how would that go i would suggest not very well which should get you thinking are there any downside to complete and utter free agency why does the major league baseball players union always fight against one year free agency when all they do is say we want our players to be free we don't want them to be stuck with you for six years we hate arbitration we hate that you get to give them their contract for the first three years and i stand up hi i'm david how about if everyone's a free agent every year no long-term deals do well we don't dislike it that much david it's all quite interesting to me all right let's talk about the weekend because while i am sucking my thumb in the fetal position which i'll be doing starting 31 minutes from now because a minute after the show, Koki yells at me, tells me everything that went wrong. Hey, I can't believe you did this, this and this, and didn't do that, that and that. And then we try to get better for the next day. That's about a minute. Some days it's more. I'm then going into the fetal position to start to binge something. I can't decide what I'm going to binge. But my deadline is 4.30 tomorrow when the NFL playoffs start. We have a doubleheader Saturday, a doubleheader Sunday in theory. I think they got 69 inches of snow in Buffalo, but they're paying guys 20 bucks an hour to shovel. So I feel like it's all gonna be okay. I wanna mention the divisional round of playoffs and I wanna give you my picks because we're HO Triple T right now. We had the Thunder three and a half over the Jazz and one of you contacted me, someone who knows me and texted me, who follows my pick of the days and said, I'm going against you because the Jazz are so hot, there's no way that you should be giving or that I'm giving points on the road. Well, nah, 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 nah. Nothing personal pick of the day brought to you by David Sampson and Matthew Coca at law. We had the Thunder three and a half over the Jazz and it was a winner. We are now 12 and six for the year. Starting way better in our first 18 than we did last year, that's for sure. All right, tonight we're gonna watch a basketball game. We've got the Indiana Pacers who just made a huge trade with the Toronto Raptors. People are calling what the Pacers have as a big three. The Pacers are a good team. Not sure that I would consider it Bush, Wade, Bosh, Wade, and LeBron. They're playing the Dame Lillardless Portland Trailblazers, giving five points, and we are all over the Pacers. I'm not sure if Pascal's playing tonight, but doesn't matter. Pacers minus five, I take the Pacers minus 10. Pacers in a blowout over the Trailblazers. All right, let's talk about the football games. Game number one is Texans Ravens. Matthew Koka will be watching that game. He's a big Ravens fan. This is his year as the number one seed where he doesn't wanna get upset in the divisional round. This is his opportunity to get his team into the Super Bowl against maybe the Niners or maybe a team that they can beat, getting their first championship since Flacco. And they're playing against CJ Stroud and the Houston Texans. It is going to be a very popular pick to take the points because you're going to say to yourself, how can the Ravens cover? This is a closer game with the way Stroud is playing. You've got Rust. The Ravens haven't played in a couple weeks. Jackson sat the final game. Guess what? People don't talk enough about the Ravens' defense leading the NFL in points per game. I like the Ravens' defense better than their offense, and their offense is quite a bit better than the Texans. Nine points is a very reasonable spread. Lamar Jackson will not lose this game and CJ Stroud will learn from this game, much in the way the Bulls had to beat the Pistons to get to where they were. There's always a team you have to get through to get where you wanna get. The Texans will not get through the Ravens. But I'm a little worried about the points. So in order to deal with that, we're going to take the Ravens to win the game. But because we have to lay so much just for taking the Ravens on the money line, we're going to add a second team. We're going to add the Niners. To me, the Niners-Packers game, I am rooting for the Packers because I love the Packers. The Packers will turn into pumpkins this week, and it's going to make Jerry Jones crazy. He's not going to change his mind about Mike McCarthy, especially after Mike McCarthy's press conference. Side note, Coca, did you see it? So good. Be with us. We're good. We're gonna learn. We're gonna be right back. I'm not sure what you expect a coach to say. It's like Mike Tomlin the day after saying, don't talk to me, storming out of his press conference. Say, no, I'm in a better mood now. They violated their 30 minute rule. I'm in a better mood now. I want the extension. I wanna keep coaching. I love these guys. I love this team. I love the Packers. I love love. I love loving love. I want love to win the Super Bowl because of what it would do to Rodgers and John and Woody Johnson. I just know they're going up against the team that is my pick to make it to the Super Bowl. So I am taking the Ravens and the Niners in a money line parlay, but to show you how much and we got to lay 196 for that. But to show you how much I like the Niners, my other pick of the day, on Saturday is the Niners covering against the Packers. They've got to win by nine and a half points. I think they will. It does not take anything away from the Packers did. But what Jerry Jones will, by watching this game, and he'll tell you he didn't watch it, but he will. When the Niners blow out the Packers, it's going to make him feel despondent because when we would lose to a team that would then lose big to another team, we would use the transitive property of losing to say, oh my God, we're that far behind that other team. So, so, um, so, so Jerry Jones would say, my God, we're that far behind the Niners. All right, I got one more play for you. The NFL is most excited for the Bills-Chiefs game, as they should be. Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes is going to the AFC Championship. In a dream scenario, you'd have Allen against Lamar Jackson or Mahomes against Lamar Jackson in an AFC Championship. Obviously, I believe that dream will come true. So Patrick Mahomes, someone pointed out to me, has played a road game before. And I came out and said that he's never played a road playoff game, only at a neutral site. it was pointed out to me and please confirm that Patrick Mahomes played against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a Super Bowl against Tampa. So it's like a home game for Tampa. So that's like a road game for Mahomes. But the person who said that to me on davidsampsonpodcast.com I unfortunately have to take umbrage with your point of view, because a Super Bowl game, even in a home stadium, is controlled by the NFL. Season ticket holders for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have zero standing to go to a Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. They certainly don't get their own seats. They get a couple sections that are moved around at best. The Super Bowl in Tampa was not a home game. So I'm sticking with the fact that Patrick Mahomes has never played a road game. This is Josh Allen and Sean McDermott's moment. We're taking the Bills minus three. Those are my picks for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Oh, I want to do one more, Coca. I want to talk about the Bucks-Lions game. Dan Campbell. What an interesting matchup. Baker Mayfield trying to make it to the NFC Championship. One of those two teams is going to. So either way, it's a great storyline. They're gonna be potentially, I think either of those teams are likely double digit dogs to the Niners, but doesn't matter. One of those teams in the NFC Championship makes me smile. I gave you my mea culpa already about Dan Campbell. There's something about this game with the over under of 49. We're going under. So just to review my picks of the day, Pacers minus five over the Trailblazers. Ravens Niners in a money line Parlay, Bills minus three over Chiefs, Niners minus nine and a half over Packers, and the Bucks Lions under 49. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, I'm gonna review a series on Netflix that I just binged, and I'm gonna want you to as well. Spoiler alert, it's called Boy Swallowed Universe, Boy Swallows Universe. And then I wanna talk about the Red Sox and a former player of mine, a Yelly named Craig Breslow, who's the new Chief Baseball Officer, and he is under quite a bit of scrutiny and he has not yet played a game we'll be right back
0: every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer put lifelock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss plus with a u.s based restoration specialist on your team You won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.
1: Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson playing a little hurt today. If you're with me on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel, thank you. I appreciate you. There's no way we're taking a day off because we don't do that. Please use sunscreen. Unless you want to look the way I look now. All right, there's a show out of Australia on Netflix called Boy Swallows Universe. It stars Brian Brown, who you may know as Rachel Ward's husband. You may know him from Cocktail with Tom Cruise and Elizabeth Shue. You may know Simon Baker from Devil Wears Prada who you don't know is a 14 year old named Felix Cameron. I want you to Google Felix Cameron because you are witnessing childhood acting greatness in a seven episode series based on a book, based on a true story. It's about a family. It is a tough watch. I watch it with subtitles because there's heavy Australian accents and there's a lot of things you wanna catch. The reason why it's tough is there's domestic violence involved. There's tremendous poverty, there's abuse, there's love, there's group hugs, there's drug use, there's crime, there's punishment, and there is a little bit of extreme measures. That's not a spoiler alert. Boy Swallows Universe, seven episodes. 10 minutes into episode one, I got myself more comfortable because I knew there was gonna be a one day binge of this show. If you have not watched it yet, please do. And focus on the character, Eli. Not the youngest Eli, not the oldest Eli, because you see Eli over a period of time. The middle Eli, you'll know him because he's the star. This 14 year old, who was 13 at the time of filming, I assume, carries the show. And he carries it into greatness. I'm talking about a better performance than Jacob Tremblay in The Room with Brie Larson. And that was a performance. I'm talking a performance better than Tatum O'Neill in Paper Moon or The Bad News Bears. I don't know that I've seen a better performance by a child actor. Anna Paquin, Academy Award winner. I can't remember the name of the movie now, which is gonna make me crazy. I can't believe it, Coca. The Piano. Thank you, Coca, how did you come up with that so fast? Boy Swallows Universe. Please check it out on Netflix. You're welcome. Start it like, you wanna watch the hour of Levitard? Fine, go to 10 o'clock and then go to work. Then binge, go all night. Believe me, it'll be worth it. I mean, depending on your options. All right, I wanna talk about the Boston Red Sox. Remember they fired Chaim Bloom and they hired Craig Breslau. Craig Breslau was a player of mine. We had him for a year. Love him as a yelly. Difficult in the clubhouse. And I'm gonna admit, Coca, you don't like when I go too far in the kimono. It is scary to have smart players. If you have too many smart players, you lose control of the clubhouse, you lose control of what you're trying to accomplish. And it's not saying that I want stupid. It's not saying that I promote stupid. I'm saying that for a player who's smart, They don't have all the information. So therefore they're smart without all the information. That means they're making decisions or conclusions that aren't based on complete facts, but they think they are. Therefore they're arguing with you about things. So therefore you have to bring the player inside the operation of the front office to let them know why you're doing what you're doing. And then they agree with you. Done that with a bunch of players. And I don't begrudge it. I didn't mind it. I had a relationship with the players. I was fine talking to Giancarlo, Tom Cole, or Craig Breslow. We've had many, many, many A.J. Ramos, many, many players. Conine, Lowell. I mean, it's too many to name who I would, who were very smart, and I wanted to do things. They'd look askance. I'd explain, and then we'd be okay. Craig Breslow was hired as the chief baseball officer for the Red Sox, and the Red Sox are getting absolutely pummeled. And I don't wanna go through the same narrative that I've done with you before saying, give me a break. The Red Sox have delivered you four rings since John Henry and Tom Warner bought the team. You could not win for a hundred years and you'd still be on schedule. The schedule of winning once every 30 years, which is what a team is theory, supposed to do. You're supposed to win once every 30 years. Isn't that the math? Sort of like roulette, you're gonna get number 12 every 36 spins, unless you've got green zeros, and then it should be every 38 spins, except they don't pay 38 to one. Huh, house advantage. I have no idea why that was in my brain. So they're having a winter weekend and the owner spoke, Tom Werner, John Henry was not there, people were furious. Where is he? Is he trying to sign Mbappe? Is he focused on running the Penguins TV station or the Penguins or the Pirates TV station? Or is he focused on Liverpool? How about Roush Racing? What's he doing? Why isn't he here answering our questions? We've got questions. I didn't really ever want our owner talking to fans or answering questions because you just don't know what's going to be said. And when owners speak, it's like EF Hutton. So Tom Werner does an interview saying, Hey, we're going balls out full throttle, baby, except they haven't done anything. So he got criticized for that. So then they had Craig Breslow speak. And I remind you, this is a smart, smart man. And one of his quotes, and he said this to Chris Cotillo. If I pronounced your name wrong, Chris, I apologize. I follow you on Twitter, you're terrific. And I think we've met. I just, I don't know if the L is soft or hard or long or short. The quote was, I don't believe it makes a ton of sense to sacrifice future wins in favor of exclusively 2024 wins." That's the quote. What do you think he means by that? Well, here's what he means. He's saying, I don't really wanna sign one guy to a one year 18 or $22 million deal in a thought that my team will be better in 24 but I'm taking up starts and experience from a guy who can help us win in 25. I don't wanna sign an outfielder to a one-year $24 million deal because it'll take at-bats away from someone we're developing to be our everyday player in 25 and beyond. The Boston Red Sox are one of 30 teams who should share this philosophy. The way And the circumstance where you do take a one-year player is exactly what we did in 03 by signing Pudge to one year, 10 million. You bring him in, try to add him to who you have in a position of need, win, and then let him go to Detroit for four years, $40 million, and no more juice. That's what you try to do. Once in a while, you get a ring. The majority of times, you don't. Every team does that but in order to do it successfully, and then we tried for 15 years after that and failed, it's because we were delusional about where we were. When Tom Rickett signed Edwin Jackson to that long-term deal in the middle of their rebuild, and it was the biggest waste of money ever, and we said on CBS, because I don't think we were doing nothing personal at the time, we said, what's happening here? This makes no sense. Maybe I just talked about it on CBS and it happened earlier. I don't know what year it was, Coca fans were upset Cubs were losing too much just sign a player waste of money the Boston Red Sox as they stand for whatever reason was it letting the curse of letting Mookie go maybe that was it unlikely the curse of signing Chris Sale to an extension when they didn't need to maybe that was it whatever the case is the Boston Red Sox in 2024 in the AL East they are not going to win the division they are not a playoff team so signing a player on a one-year deal to take away at bats or innings for a team that really doesn't have a chance doesn't make sense which is why i was not in favor of signing pudge rodriguez and i've never admitted this publicly before i told our owner we absolutely you're wasting 10 million dollars you're, you're, making, you're bringing our payroll up $10 million from 30 to 40 back then in '03, And our team, we're young. We've only been here a year. We barely know what we have. What, what are you doing? What are we doing? Of course, it was a mere eight months later that we had a parade. So under that theory, Craig Breslow should be looking at signing a player like that. No, it barely ever works. The smarter teams don't do it. But here's what else the smarter teams do. They don't say it. You're trying to sell tickets in 24. You're trying to go into spring training so the manager can meet the team and say, hey, forget the projections, Picota. We have what we need in this room right now. And we're gonna need every one of you. We always say that because the first day of spring training, there's 66 players there. And one of our opening lines, I would say this every year and so would the manager. We're going to need every one of you at some point during the course of the year. Of course, two weeks later, you've released 10 of them out of the organization completely. They were minor league free agents. But let's not quibble. We're going to need every last one of you to make a run of it. It's always funny when we said that. I always wondered what players thought when they'd hear that. Like they knew they were brought in. they, They have a date of like two weeks later where they have to be released or added to the roster. And they know if they don't you know, start hot in spring training or whatever, the injuries don't happen. They're just gonna be released. I wonder if they just roll their eyes and say, all right, let's go to PFP, let's go golfing. I just don't think it's smart to ever say it publicly. There's a lot of things that people are saying publicly now that don't make sense to me. When I was in public for all those years, I always had an agenda. There was a reason I was saying something because I needed something at that particular moment. I needed to know what other teams were interested in other players. I needed to do something involving a new stadium. I needed to do something involving a corporate transaction. There was always something. It's not sociopathic, it's just business. No, no, that's not the end of the show. It's just business. Word came out yesterday that the Chicago White Sox, your favorite team, the team that's likely gonna lose a hundo this year under new GM Chris Getz. Same owner, no more Larusa though. They are in quote, serious discussions, serious discussions about a new ballpark. (laughs) Remember all the stuff when Jerry Reinsdorf met with the mayor of Nashville during the winter meetings and everyone acted like their pants were on fire. Oh my God, the White Sox are moving to Nashville. And I said, no chance toilet pants, of course not. It's called leverage. And also wanting to get out of the suite and out of the bubble in Nashville and just hang out with the mayor for a moment or two. Well, now the White Sox are in very, very serious negotiations. Are there any other kind? It's a few good men reference. I don't think there's any other kind. When I do negotiations, I'm always serious. I may not wanna do a deal. I may not be serious about doing a deal, but I may be serious about not doing a deal. Either way, I'm serious about something. I'm not here to waste time. So the White Sox are in serious discussions with the owner of a plot of land in the South Loop. It's a little bit further north of where they are now. People are poo-pooing guaranteed rate field as the old retro ballpark, it opened in 91. It's outdated, it stinks. There was no development around it. Lest you think Marlins Park is the only park with no development around it. Believe me, it's not. No development around it. Jerry Reinstorf is very aware that he needs development. It's a copycat world. All the other owners are getting all the villages. He needs a village. Damn, the bears are looking in Arlington. They bought 369 acres. Still don't have a deal to move to Arlington. So there's a 62 acre parcel down at Roosevelt Road and Clark Street. And they're seen about building a stadium. And the White Sox are dealing with the mayor and the owner of the land And then there was a statement and the statement was pretty good. It came from the mayor. This is the mayor of Chicago. Who's trying to keep the bears. Who's trying to figure out how to keep the White Sox. His office said, Mayor Brandon Johnson and White Sox chairman, Jerry Reinsdorf met to discuss the historic partnership between the team and Chicago. Let me stop you there in every meeting I've had with mayors and governors and presidents, do you know what doesn't come up ever? Not one time, hey, weren't you so happy during the 97 World Series? I mean, that was historic. You think Jerry Reinsdorf and the mayor, you think they sit down, hey, uh, can you leave us be for a minute? We're gonna just meet the two of us. Hey, do you remember back to the Black Sox scandal? Hey, we've been here for like over a hundred years. I think that we owe it to the people of Chicago to keep the White Sox right here. Oh yeah, you're right, mayor. I owe it to the people of Chicago. No, no, I owe it as the mayor to keep you guys here. No, no, I owe it to keep you here, me here, us here. It's so ridiculous. But the statement continues. We discussed the historic partnership and we discussed the team's idea for remaining competitive in Chicago in perpetuity couple things about public statements I love when they say perpetuity of course a new lease with the White Sox would not be in perpetuity it's not like a 99 year ground lease it'll be like 38 years 36 years 30 years never perpetuity so don't use the word number two why do you think that Jerry Reinsdorf has an idea of what it means to remain competitive let me just think for a minute what he said in the middle of a meeting Mr. Mayor You understand that for me to be competitive, I need to have a lot of revenue that comes to me that I don't have to disclose to baseball for purposes of revenue sharing. I'm gonna need to develop a whole bunch of land around a stadium, and then I'm gonna need a whole bunch of local revenue that is subject to revenue sharing because the current stadium, thank you so much for that help in 91, but the current stadium, when I threatened to move to Tampa Bay, but you knew I was never gonna move to Tampa Bay, but I told everyone I was gonna move to Tampa Bay, but of course, I had no permission to move to Tampa Bay, but that said, you thought I was. I need way more stadium revenue. Then we can have higher payrolls and be competitive. Has that been the issue with the White Sox? I'm just asking for a friend. Does anyone think that it's been a payroll issue? Why the White Sox have not been competitive since the days of Ozzie? It's laughable. Good luck. They're gonna get it, of course. All right, let's talk about the Houston Astros for a minute before we go. I wanna end my week talking about the Astros. I have a thing about the Astros because I love their new manager. You may not remember their new manager is Joey Espada. Joey Espada was our infield coach, our third base coach, many years. Outstanding, simply outstanding. I'm so happy he knew he was getting the job post Baker. Congratulations to Dusty Baker going to work for Larry Baer with ownership issues in San Francisco. That's funny. But it's really good that Joe Spot is there. And word came out yesterday from Ken Rosenthal, who's got the insight into everything that's happening, that the Astros are in play for Josh Hader. And that made me smile because Josh Hader wants to get paid more than Edwin Diaz. And Edwin Diaz got $105 million for five years from Steve Cohn. Remember the year that Steve Cohn said, hey. My name's Steve Cohn, and I like my tax threshold so much that I want to put it in the rearview mirror. I know a thing or two about offering closers record deals. The off-season of 2016, I negotiated to have Kenley Jansen, a Marlin instead of a Dodger. He was a free agent. And Aroldis Chapman, a Marlin instead of a Yankee. He was a free agent. Offered them both five-year deals. Offered Jansen five years of 80. Thought we'd get him, called up the Dodgers and said, I got 80 million from the Marlins. And they were like, damn it, we'll give you 80, come back. Fantastic, stayed with the Dodgers. All right, Chappie, what do you got? Against my better judgment, five years, 86. Next thing I know, Randy Levine is calling our owner. God damn it, I cannot believe you because Chapman took that to the Yankees. The Yankees said, great, we're going to keep him but now we got to give him 86 million dollars so we were just a stalking horse trying to keep it going after the unfortunate passing of jose signed edison vocads let's bring in the best closer and let's try to win we got Stanton yelich ozuna so we're trying so i get what it means to set a record for a closer except you better do it with the right closer josh Hader has been one of the best if not the best closers his entire career practically unhittable There's a reason that he changes teams, and there's a reason that he is asking for the most money. The question is, are the Astros the team to give it to him? The Astros, as you may remember, have arguably behind Mariano Rivera the best, and this is arguably with total recency bias, the best postseason closer ever. Ryan Presley hasn't blown a save. You can't score off the guy. Why would you bring in Josh Hader Are you bringing in Josh Hader to be the eighth inning guy to Presley? Are you bringing in Josh Hader to be the ninth inning guy to Presley's eighth inning guy, demoting Presley? Or are you bringing them in to be co-closers, whoever's available? Because by the time postseason comes around, closers are exhausted, except Presley who always seems to get it done. Or is it because that they're losing some bullpen arms to both free agency and now injury? So what's wrong with a little depth? The problem with bringing in a closer like Hayter into Houston and giving him the most money a closer's ever gotten is the message you're giving to your dynasty and make no mistake, the Astros are a dynasty. The message you're giving to your dynasty is not a good one. And I always agree with trying to get better and tweaking and signing players and, and adding to your core. I always think that's the best way to sustain winning. Let players go. Let Correa go, have Jeremy Pena ready to win the MVP of the postseason. I get it, I like it. But in a bullpen, there is a different rule than in a lineup or in a rotation. The bullpen that you have in April is never the bullpen you have in October. So you actually have to be very careful with the off-season signings that you do in your bullpen because more often than not, you're engaging in an overpay, structuring a bullpen that you think can carry you when every executive knows it's gonna to be totally different when it matters. I absolutely understand why Josh Hader is going for it, and I understand why Houston thinks that Josh Hader is a good fit. However, there's one thing that's not gonna happen this season. Josh Hader, will not get more money than Edwin Diaz. As much as he wants to. And I'm going to make it an official wait to see. Wait to see when I tell you something's going to happen. If it happens, great. If it doesn't, fine. Here we go. Josh Hader will not surpass Edwin Diaz's $105 million guarantee over five years. N-G-T-H. Not going to happen. Wait to see why because even jim crane so desirous of winning a world championship again and continuing that dynasty recognizes that sometimes it's just business and he doesn't want to have to go to ryan presley at any time and say this is nothing personal